Jesus, thank you. Thank you for another night with Church of the Harvest. This new location. The same family and the same DNA. The same God. The same mission and purpose. We're exploring growth and we're praying that tonight you would help us to teach in a way that honors you and inspires the people. I submit and surrender right now everything and everyone to you. And if you're okay with that prayer, just say aloud, amen. amen. Let's tackle it. The law of reflection and the law of consistency. To make certain I'm speaking to the right audience tonight, I want to begin by conducting a little experiment. So take out your notes and somewhere where you've got a blank space, I just want you to put the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, because I'm going to ask you eight questions, and corresponding to each number, you can write your answer, a Y for yes or an N for no. Now, we're going to have to move really quickly because we don't have a lot of time, but I want you to be ruthlessly honest. You ready? Answer each question in the assessment with a simple yes or no. First question, I often feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I regularly feel like I'm playing catch-up in the game of life. Yes or no? Write it down. Second statement. I often find myself looking for ways to multitask. I have this compulsive need to be doing more than one thing at the same time. Yes or no? You know, multitasking is a common phenomenon in America. I mean, people even multitask. Do you remember, do you realize this? People even multitask while driving. Does anybody know the three most dangerous things people do while they drive? I'm going to give you the stats first. First most dangerous thing they do while they drive is talk or text on their cell phones. It's becoming increasingly responsible for a large number of accidents in the U.S. Second most dangerous thing people do while driving is putting on their makeup. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) Third, third most dangerous thing people do while driving is, wait for it, reading. People actually attempt to read while driving their automobile. Now, here's the second question. Do you find yourself multitasking on a regular basis? For instance, if you've been writing out a grocery list while I've been going through this assessment, you are a multitasker. Three. Whenever I see a yellow or caution light, my normal tendency is to speed up instead of slowing down. Yes or no? Four. I often feel guilty about the way I use my time. Sometimes I feel like I'm cheating my family. I sometimes worry that my kids or grandkids are growing up way too fast and I'm missing out on life. Yes or no? Five. I regularly fall prey. This is one of my favorites. I regularly fall prey to what the experts call magical thinking. I constantly, here's what it means. I constantly underestimate the amount of time it will take to get something done. Consequently, I'm always in a hurry. Let let me give you an example. You know it takes 15 minutes to get to church on Sunday morning. You know it does. But there was this one time, like five years ago, 
You made the route in 10 because all the lights were green and you were following a speeding ambulance all the way. Every service since you've believed you could do it in 10, not 15. But it's never happened a single time. That's magical thinking. If you're guilty of it, put a Y. Six. How about procrastination? I chronically find myself putting off things like going to the doctor, getting my taxes done, changing the oil on my car, going out on a date with my spouse. I'm addicted to deadlines and crises, yes or no. Seven, I struggle with impatience. Sometimes when I'm driving at the speed of light down I-75 or Paul Huff or Key Street, I hope that the person I just cut off in the other line doesn't attend Church of the Harvest. <laughs> and label me a NASCAR driver wannabe. Yes or no? Eighth, eighth question. My kids or grandkids have started believing that their first names are hurry up or let's move it. Yes or no? Now, how many of you answered yes? <laughs> How many of you answered yes to two or more of those statements? Lift up your hand. Three or more, leave your hand up. Four or more, leave your hand up. Five or more, we're in an addicted to hurry church. But let me just ask you, do you ever feel like there's got to be a better way? I mean, Carl Jung was correct. Years ago, he wrote this. Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. And for anybody here tonight who feels stressed out, frazzled, exhausted, Jesus has this amazing invitation. Every time I'm going through scripture and I get to Matthew 11, I start looking forward to this verse. Because so much of what I just went through is true of me. And yet Jesus stands and Jesus says this, come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you what, a better plan. A better way to do more in less time. I'll give you. You just said it. I'll give you rest. Underline the word weary there if you're taking notes in the notes. The idea is exhaustion. It carries the idea of working to the point of complete or utter exhaustion. I mean, after the last three years, since 2020, anybody, anybody feel like you, you're living on the edge of exhaustion, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally? We're talking frayed nerves, spin emotions, at-risk health, a relationship with God that's on life support. Anybody feel like that? Do you realize that some ex experts estimate that over the last 20 years, the average American worker has added the equivalent of one month, that's 160 hours, to their work year? And we thought decades ago that our workloads were going to get lighter, but for those who are working, for those who are diligent, workloads have actually increased. And Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. 
Underline those three words, carry heavy burdens. The picture is of a huge load being dumped on a person. Is that the way you feel? Anybody carrying a heavy load, too much weight, too many responsibilities, not enough room. A burden, a burden. A burden is anything we carry around, whether it's emotional, spiritual, or relational weight. Anything we carry around that we were not designed by God to carry, that's a burden. Burdens involve stuff like money, family, marriage, children. Burden involves stuff like an overcrowded calendar and an underdeveloped life. That's burden. That's burden. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you, everybody say that word out loud and together, I will give you what? Man, as I was walking the lot in worship and prayer before we began this evening, I just got this sense that God, he really wants to meet with us. While we're going to study 15 invaluable laws of growth, he wants to meet with some of you tonight and relieve burden, relieve weariness. In more than 2,000 years, Jesus has never led anyone into exhaustion, discouragement, or fatigue. Never. He has an answer to this insanity of our time-starved world. And one of the answers is tucked away here in this beautiful chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters, and I'll probably take more time with the law of reflection then I will the next law because it's critical. Look at what it means. It's there in your notes. Learning to pause. Slow down. Take a breath. Give yourself margin room. Learning to pause allows growth to catch up with you. Everybody read that sentence out loud and together with me. Are you ready? Learning to pause allows growth to catch up with you. Say it again. Learning to pause allows growth to catch up with you. We'll do it one more time. Learning to pause allows growth to catch up with you. So let's talk about slowing down the speed of light. In introduction, I just want to give you a few bullets on how to do this. First bullet, schedule margin or space into your life and schedule. Schedule margin or space into your life and schedule. Margin is the space between your load and your limits. Schedule more of that into your life. Plan for the unexpected by leaving a few gaps in your schedule. Plan regular intervals of prayer, solitude. Now, most of you are game for that. Prayer, solitude. But let me tell you what I believe believers aren't doing enough these days. To dream. I mean, to sit in silence before God while he downloads a dream into you. I've got a good friend, and while I was preparing for this series, I sent out a variety of texts asking uh, some really close friends who I know are passionate about growing. I said, give me the top five books that have formed you and changed you. 
the top five podcasts you need to listen to every week and the top five thought leaders you follow and want to be regularly formed by. And some people immediately shot back an answer. And one of my friends, close friend by the name of Stephen Burton, he shot back the kind of answer I would expect Steve, Stephen to give me. Stephen is almost the equivalent of a modern-day monk. <laughs> I'm serious. This, he's, he's radical in his ideology. And he said, you know, it's been a while since I've read a book. I tend to read the same books again and again. He said, in terms of podcast, I only listen to a few these days, and they're random at that. And he said, instead of following, quote, thought leaders, I love being still and allowing God to develop a thought in me. Sorry, that didn't answer your question, he said. I shot back immediately. That's exactly the kind of answer I would expect from Stephen Burton. Two days later, he shoots me back this text, and he said, Chris, I had to follow up on, on the convo we were having the other day. He said, I was just reading this article. It was in some kind of scientific daily kind of thing. And he said, in that, in that journal, uh, the researchers indicated that those who develop solar panels to transform the energy from the sun into electricity for us to use, those who develop solar panels indicate that we're 10 years further down the road than we should be right now. In other words, 10 plus years ago, when they were thinking about if we really give ourselves to thinking about this technology, developing this technology, where will we get? Now, those scientists, those thought leaders are 10 years further down the road. And the question of the person writing the article was this, why? How do we so far miss the projection? Stephen wrote to me, he said, Chris, the answer has been bothering me. You need to lean into this. This is a sermon. He said, the person answered, the reason we're further down the road than we thought we would be is due to a failure of imagination. And Stephen shot me back and said, Chris, I wonder if that isn't the issue today. Many of us aren't further down the road in life due to a failure of imagination. We've stopped allowing God to drop thoughts into our spirit, into our mind about what could be and should be. We've stopped dreaming with God. Bill Johnson would say it that way. He said the reason some of us pay dire consequences in our marriages, in our financial life, is because we never imagined the worst thing that could happen. The business leader never imagines his partner swindling funds from the company so the business leader never establishes protocols so that can't happen in their industry and it happens it's a failure of imagination and his push towards me was this what could happen if we would give ourselves space and room to dream schedule margin give yourself time and space to dream, to hear from God. What could happen? What thought 
is God looking to drop into your spirit? Let me tell you about a friend of mine. He's nearing 90 years of age these days. Still alive, one of the smartest men I know pastored a large church in Birmingham for years and years and years and years and years. He got a leading from the Lord to leave the pastorate and to start a business. And I asked him, Bob, how did it happen? He said, Chris, I'm going to tell you the truth. One day I'm on a plane. He said, it was this, it was this clear. It was this clear. One day I'm on a plane. I'm taking a ride. I allow myself to rest. I'm just laying there with my eyes closed, resting while I fly. I think he was flying back into Birmingham. He said, all of a sudden, God gave me an idea for an invention. It was a wood chipping machine. Bob Smith wasn't a person who excelled in wood chipping. He had been a pastor all of his life. He said, I saw in grand detail this. He said, I got every, every piece of the schematic clearly in my mind about what this machine was to be like. He said, I saw the machine. I knew how to create it. I knew what we needed to do. It was crystal clear. And I felt God say, start that business. Build that machine. It's going to change not only your destiny, but the destiny of your entire family. Bob left that plane, went through a process while he stepped gradually out of leading that church, began a thriving business in Birmingham, Alabama. That business has now traveled all across the world selling these wood chipping machines to countries like Australia, Africa. I could go on and on and on with country after country. An idea received when he closed his eyes and just allowed himself to dream. And God gave him a dream. He said, in a million years, I would have never imagined an industry or a mechanism like that. And I know God gave me that dream. Do you allow yourself to dream? Second bullet, learn to say, how do we, how do we give ourselves space for reflection? Learn to say no. <laughs> learn to say no. No is a complete sentence. It doesn't need a caveat, doesn't need an explanation. You know your schedule. You know your limits better than anyone. It is okay for you to say no. People are always going to have a great idea for how you can spend your time, your energy, your effort, your insight. Listen to me. Instead of habitually saying yes, perhaps you ought to say and mean it. I need to think about that. I need to examine my schedule. And the person that you say, I'm so sorry, but my schedule is filled, I simply can't, doesn't understand that you've agreed to a higher mission and you have to say no to some things so that you can say yes to his thing. Well, that's a good word. Next bullet. Build a Sabbath routine and ritual into your life. In other words, obey the fourth commandment. Build a Sabbath routine and ritual into your life. Many of us, especially self-employed people. I, I'm always amused because as John Maxwell team leader, I get to deal with 
with, with a lot of small businesses. And sometimes I'll hear someone say something like this. I can't wait to start my own business. Then I can call my own shots. I laugh inside. I laugh inside because when you say yes to a small business, what you say yes to are demands, responsibilities, expectations on you that the person who hits a clock nine to five will never know anything about. I led a church for 35 years. There wasn't a day I didn't think about the payroll we had to meet, the people I was responsible for, how that something stupid out my mouth or in my life could cost them astronomically. You carry that kind of weight. What some small business leaders need, though, is permission to take a Sabbath, to understand this, that honoring God with a Sabbath is a statement about your faith. It's saying, God, I can trust you to do more with six than I can do with seven. And because you've said, honor me on this one, I'm going to give you this one, believing that you will expand the other ones. I wish I'd brought the study. I, I barely read over it and I knew I was press for time, but I read a study about what happens after we work 50 hours. This is incredible. Some of us are pushing 60, 70, 80, 90 hours, and we pat ourselves on the back as if we are being so incredibly productive. There are actually scientific studies that indicate after 55 hours, your productivity starts to lessen instead of decrease. Furthermore, you set yourself up for a variety of health effects, relational effects, and other impacts that you've never dreamt of. God knew what he was talking about when he said, honor me with the Sabbath. Now, it's okay to say amen, even if you're getting hit. Okay? Take at least one day a week as a Sabbath. What do you need to do? I didn't put this for you in your notes. It will not come up on the screen, but you might want to jot it down. Just take an opportunity to remember, number one, what God has done. Just remember. Two, rest your body. Just rest. It's okay to take a nap. I wish I'd brought the research on that. A 10 to 20 minute nap on a daily basis has an incredible impact on your creativity, ability to think clearly. Rest your body. Three, recharge your emotions. In other words, on your Sabbath, don't schedule a meeting with that emotional vampire who just sucks life out of you. <laughs> It's not the day to meet with the EGRs in your relational network. EGR means extra grace required. It's okay to say they'll still be there tomorrow, God. On that day, meet with people who recharge you emotionally. Who build, spend time doing something fun. A few days ago, it's the first time I've done this. I don't even remember the last time, but... My wife and I had scheduled a date, and uh, early that morning, 
she went to a hair appointment, and the hair appointment ended up going incredibly long. Like, it went forever. I don't know how you can work on somebody's hair that long. I do not know how. But we had scheduled a date to go to the movies. And, and I was talk, talking myself out of it, and I was like, I'm not going to. I went to the movies by myself. Oh, don't, oh, no. It was fun. I got me a large popcorn. I got me that honking large Diet Coke with Diet Cherry flavor in it. I think I was the until a mother and her child walked in, I was the only one in the theater. I positioned myself right in the middle because I never can sit in the middle when there are people around me. I don't like to be blocked in. I want to be able to get up and go. But with nobody there, I'm like, I'm sitting in the middle. <laughs> I didn't worry about how much I laughed. It was a comedy. It was funny. It was so, I called my wife after. I said, you would have loved this movie. It was so funny. But I'm so glad I went. By the way, I ate that whole large popcorn. But I got you a refill, and I'm bringing you a large refill home. She didn't eat as much as me. That's recharging your emotions. Four, this is what you do on the Sabbath. Reflect on your attitudes, character, actions, and schedule. Just think about, have I been effective this last week? Where is God growing me? Where is God changing me? And then five, Refocus your spirit. In other words, okay, God, so take this day of rest. I, I really, at the end of the day, I want to be refocused for what lies ahead. Oh, let, let me give you this aside, and then we'll get into the Maxwell stuff. There's this word that appears in the Bible 74 times. 71 times in the book of Psalms, three times in the book of Habakkuk. Let, let, let me read one of the Psalms it appears in. It's so good, and it goes along with what we're talking about tonight. All right, here's the writer. The writer writes, Psalm 62, I stand silently to listen for the one I love, waiting as long as it takes for the Lord to rescue me. For God alone has become my Savior. He alone is my safe place. His wraparound presence always protects me. This is the Passion Translation, and I love this chapter in it. For he is my champion defender. There's no risk of failure with God. So why would I let worry paralyze me, even when troubles multiply around me? And then in verse 4 is the word, Selah. And the Passion Translation renders it, pause in his presence. Woo! He continues, verse 5, I am standing in absolute stillness, silent before the one I love, waiting as long as it takes for him to rescue me. Only God is my Savior, and he will not fail me, for he alone is my safe place. His wraparound presence always protects me as my champion defender. There's no risk of failure with God, so why would I let worry paralyze me, even when troubles multiply around me? God's glory is all around me. His wraparound presence is all I need. For the Lord is my Savior, my healer and my life-giving strength. Join me, everyone. Trust only in God every moment. Tell him all of your troubles. Pour out your heart longings to him. Believe me when I tell you, he will help you. And everybody say the last line, Selah, pause in his presence. What does that word Selah mean? 
Well, it isn't what David would say every time his heart broke a string. That's not it. Selah. Here's what it means. I think I put it for you in your notes. It's an invitation to pause, to stop, pause, think, pause, reflect, meditate. The Amplified Bible renders it like this. Pause and think about that. Give yourself a Sabbath. Time to pause. Time to think. Time to relax. Worry. Now, I always have somebody, when I teach on Sabbath, they'll come up and tell me something like this. But Chris, my schedule will not allow it now. Well, remember this teaching. Jesus said, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God understands those seasons that we go through where we lose discretion over our calendar. He understands those seasons. But at least on that day, give God space. If you can't give him the entire day, what about giving him space out of that day? And then what about asking God, God, would you help me expand it over time until I can fully honor you with this Sabbath? I believe God's got a process and he'll honor that kind of faith. Next bullet, worry less, trust God more. Um, here's what came to my mind, Pastor Rhonda, as, as I was thinking through this chapter. I thought about one of the greatest heroes of the faith that Protestants regularly, regularly lowball. And this is a teenager named Mary who birthed the Messiah. You know, Protestants, in a desire not to somehow idolize her, like our Catholic brothers and sisters, we've demoted her and not honored her for the faith she actually demonstrated. This girl, this girl was amazing. She's 14 to 17 years of age. An angel shows up, interrupts her life plan. She responds with these words, be it unto me according to your word. In other words, I'm yours. I'm in. Take it all. What? What created that kind of character in a teenager? I have to believe that there's a secret that shows up two places in Luke 2. Man, I was reading through Luke last week, the Gospel of Luke. I'm still in the Gospel. And when I got to Luke 2.19, and then later, 2.51, these phrases arrested me. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 51, but his mother treasured all of these things in her heart. I believe there was this quiet, beautiful relationship with God that built this amazing woman of faith who could say when God interrupts all of her plans, well, it's not what I had in mind, but be it unto me according to your word. And she kept living that. Ben Patterson said it this way, when you're waiting, who you become while you're waiting is just as important as what you're waiting for. That's what happens in reflection. So let's jump into the content of the book really quick, okay? The power of the pause. Here's what it does. Number one, reflection turns experience into insight. 
Experience, Maxwell said, it isn't the best teacher evaluated experience is. That's taking time to think through the experience, ask yourself, what went right? What was challenging? How can it be improved? What can I do moving forward? That's the power of the pause. And Maxwell suggests that every day we take about 10 minutes on a daily basis, 10 to 30 minutes, to just pause. Think back through the day. Or if you do it in the morning, think ahead into the day as you reflect back on yesterday. That's what it does. Number two, everyone needs a time and place to pause. So let me give you a simple plan for reflection. Here's number one, set an appointment. Determine ahead of time when you're going to spend time in reflection. Two, just be still. Get rid of all the distractions. Turn off the television. Silence your cell phone. Close your email, your messages, internet windows. Remove all the busy noise and thoughts clutter from your mind and heart. Just be still. Three, I would begin because I, I don't want to teach a form of meditation that's not scriptural. I really believe that there are some forms of meditation that are being presented by the world that can open us up to demonic influence. I, I actually believe in those sort of things. So I want any approach that I have towards these kinds of subjects to be rooted in Scripture. So I would encourage you, begin by reading God's Word and praying. The revelation of God, Scripture says, is whole and pulls our life together. So just read a passage. God, sanctify my mind. I give everything and everyone to you. Pray. Four, reflect. Reflect on your attitudes, character, actions, appointment, your schedule, an idea. There, there are two ideas I've been reflecting on, and I think God's birthing something with both of them recently. This failure of imagination idea, almost every day I've spent time reflecting on that and I've been writing about it. And then this idea that shows up in Matthew's gospel as he quotes Isaiah, where after Jesus ministers and then commands people not to tell anyone, we read this statement from the writer who says this he did to fulfill the words of Isaiah. And then he gives us this insight, a bruised reed he will not break. And the smoking wick he will not snuff out. And I've just been spending time thinking about that as I've got moments asking God, what is it that you want to say to me about those ideas? Because I, I sense God brooding something in me, particularly towards broken ministers with that Bruce Reed passage. Five, listen to and write down what the Holy Spirit says. I want to give you a prayer that I use on a regular basis. I believe in the power of this prayer, and we're going to say it together. Just say it. I put it for you in your notes. Just, just say it out loud. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just be still. Let me tell you a problem I had for years and years, and still can have it. The failure to write down God ideas. The failure to write them down. And I believe the reason some of us aren't more prolific in terms of God ideas is because we aren't stewarding well the ones he's already given us. Write it down. Write it down. Write it 
down. Give you this example. One day I'm finishing up a run, and a lot of times on a run I pray. I listen to William Augusto, which is not exactly running music. It's just this atmospheric ambiance music of worship songs with no lyrics. I like that because I don't want my mind singing along. I just, I just want atmosphere so I can pray without following somebody else's line of thought. And I've been listening to William, and my wife and I are praying, praying for a home, our forever home, we call it. It's a dream. God gave my wife a vision of this home, and it was, was crystal clear. And, and I'm praying for that home as I finish out the run. And all of a sudden, I, I, get this, I get this thought. It just drops out of nowhere. And the thought was, Chris, when you find the place, I'll bring the provision. I'm actually running behind a Baptist church when this gets in my, in my mind. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, was that you, God? Or was that some silly thought that I had because I like alliteration? P and P, place provision. And I start doubting it. And then I just keep running around the Baptist church. I t turn into our driveway. And I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit came upon me in the driveway, overwhelmed me. Like, I, I literally didn't know if I was going to make it to the house because I could sense Holy Spirit so powerfully. And he said, I'm telling you this. You find the place, I will bring the provision. I went immediately in, and every word, I've got it in my journal, every word, and it, it's a long word. I wrote it down, and I regularly go back to that, and I feel like God spoke to me through that moment and said to me, if you will steward better the words that I'm giving you, I will give you more of these words. Open yourselves up. Listen, but then write it down. Three, pausing with intention expands and enriches thinking. I'm, I'm a believer in this. Four. By the way, you can do that with any number of things. Uh, during pandemic, you know, after you went through the 15th rewind of The Office, or whatever it is that you like to watch for humor, I got bored and someone told me that I needed to watch, um, I think it's on Amazon, I'm not certain, but it... it it was um, a magician thing by a guy named Derek Delgadio. And I'm trying to remember the name of it right now. I didn't write this down in my notes, but it was all about identity. And at the end of this, people came in. Um, they literally chose a title off a whiteboard out in the foyer, unknown, like electrician, like... Uh, Entrepreneur, like speaker, doctor, nurse, any number. They would try to get that corresponding to what their calling was in life. And then they went in and sat as Derek did this long show. Most of it, most of it was, was 
was very watchable. I, I think there might have been two bad words in it or so. But at the end of it, this is the part that got me. Derek started talking about calling and purpose. And there were probably 300 people in the room. And he went one by one to each person in that room. And he told them the card that they had picked before they walked into the room. I'm telling you, I'm watching this in my living room. And I'm feeling everything in me stand on end as I watch this happen. Like, I literally sensed the Holy Spirit enter that room. Here's why. Because as he would speak identity over people. This was a second. This guy's not a Christian. After that, I was so moved by it, I read his biography. Not a Christian at all. Very secular upbringing. Doesn't know what he believes about God. But as he spoke identity over 300 people, I saw... You would recognize some of the faces in that room. Some of them began to sob when some, someone called them a beloved son, a much-loved daughter. You could see their, their shoulders begin to quake and shake. That bothered me so much that night. My wife was gone. My kids were gone. I watched that thing three times that night. I took out a notepad and I'm making notes as I watch it. I read the dude's biography. I study it all. And out of that, God gave me a five-week series on identity that I preached at our church. And I saw people set free from the chains of past bondages. What, what do I mean? I'm telling you that when we pause to think, God gives us creativity. But some of us never slow down. Four, four. When you take time to pause, use your eyes. Here are the eyes. Investigation. Pausing is about attempting to learn and discover insights and truths from every experience. Incubation. Pause in order to place an experience into the slow cooker of your mind to simmer, grow, and develop. Anybody ever did that? Three. Illumination. Pausing as a way of life makes room for those aha moments, those epiphanies or sudden realizations of insight. And then four, illustration, pausing long enough to flesh out ideas, good stories, and insightful quotes into teachable and shareable lessons. Hate to be so illustrative in this, but I, but I love this idea. So uh, there, there's, there's an artist, and I'm going to blow his name uh, he's a Christian artist, Fujera Mokoto or something of that nature. He's a Japanese Christian guy. Beautiful man of God. I recently got to watch a YouTube video where, where he talked about God's power to redeem. On 9-11, he was riding the subway that went right under the two towers, crashing on him. That train was trapped there for hours. By all purposes, his life should, should have ended that day. Somehow, miraculously, he survived. He came out of that, tried, tried to paint for days, weeks, months, couldn't. And then he started painting. And what God birthed out of him during that time was a picture of his ability to bring beauty out of our brokenness. I listen to this dude 
watched it twice. And then God started birthing something in me with this idea. Anybody heard of Japanese artwork called kintsugi, where they take broken pieces of pottery, put them back together with lacquer, and then seal it with gold, and the restored piece of pottery becomes more valuable than the original piece actually was? I've been working on that for days. Why? Just reflect. Letting it incubate, letting it sit there. Last night, while I was working on this, I was also going out, going to find his pictures of Kintsugi artwork, where he had lectured. I grouped all of those and put them in a folder so I could go look at them and let those ideas continue to simmer. Top 10 personal awareness questions John gives us in his book. I want to encourage you, for, for, for sake of time, I'm not going to go through those. But I found, here's what I found really interesting about them. I both read the book and listened to the audible. And I loved listening to John describe his answers to all of those questions. It was really fun. It's fun to read it, but to hear his voice describe it, I don't know why. It was another layer for me. He gave us, and th this is a real important aspect about anything. One of the greatest gifts you can hone in life is to become a good asker. Pardon that. I don't even know if that's a real word of questions. That's reflection. Everybody get it? Before I give you consistency in a really tight knot, what if we, what if we just break in right now and have a bit of discussion? Because that's what this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be more feedback, not just lecture-driven. Anybody got any thoughts on this idea of reflection? Whether it's a question, whether it's just a thought, an insight that maybe you've derived. Please go ahead, lift up your hand, share it with us. We grow by listening to one another. Anybody in the room? Yes, right back here. Tell us your name before you begin. Um, Marilyn. Marilyn. That, that is a great question. Tell, tell me the name once again. Marilyn. For those watching online, she said she has a hard time saying no because she really wants to please people, to make people happy. And I, I think that is a trait for a lot of us. And even if it's not our dominant trait because we're wanting to follow Jesus and be a servant to others, we, we tend to lean towards that disposition. I think what, what my wife and I have talked about there, because my wife is bent really in that direction. My wife is such a people person. She loves people so much. And, and I wouldn't call her a people pleaser. I would call her a people person. Like she loves people. So she will readily say yes. And what we're attempting to do these days is say, let me check my calendar. Let me check my schedule and let me get back with you. If you can build that in as a response, even if you feel in your gut, I'm going to say yes because it's something I want to do. It aligns with my mission and purpose. Getting yourself in the habit of doing that, in the habit of doing that, will give you that buffer that you need to think critically to make certain you're not overloading yourself with probably good things, but things that could keep you from the mission God has for you. Does that resonate with you at all? Cool, cool. Great question. Somebody else raised their hand right in that vicinity. Right, right here. Pastor Todd. We got a red mic on up here. Okay. Uh, Brother Chris. Okay. There we go. Okay. Well, either way. 
he, he basically said, I'm, I'm so busy, I can't not stop and pray. Yeah. And that really stuck with me because we think I got to, and we don't let the Lord get in the mix yes. to help us. And then the other thing I was going to say, when I read through the book, it was kind of interesting because I'm like, John Maxwell, almost, you almost think he's a name dropper. Because he includes so many different names in the book. But then when I, you know, was thinking about it, I realized what he's doing is he's illustrating anybody can do this. And he pulls, you know, Joe Schmo was able to do this. Bob Jones is this. And, you know, and yeah. he just pulls different names, proving the fact that anybody can do these things. Yes. I love both of those insights. Heibel's book, Too Busy Not to Pray, and John referencing a variety of experiences. Is there anybody else? I don't want to miss you. Yes, right over here. Your name? Uh, Sherry. Sherry. Awesome. We had a grade level meeting today that one of our standards says that we need to pause so that kids are able to think more and let it sink in. And so when I come here tonight, wow. I literally just sent a picture to my instructional coaches. Wow. And I was like, look at my Bible study tonight. You know, look at what this is about yeah because this is what we discussed the whole time because if the students are not if the teacher does not pause enough it can't sink in you know you're just constantly feeding them yeah and i just thought that was so neat so i had to let you know that that was awesome. good stuff thank you thank you anybody else before we move on what what a serendipitous moment crazy are we running it oh we got okay i'm sorry i didn't see that I was just going to say, for most of us, silence is uncomfortable. Yes. And so that pause can be so uncomfortable to just sit and wait. But learning to program yourself to do that yes. can make a huge difference. Come on, Nish. That's awesome. Great, great, great thought. How many, of you, how many of you get a good idea in the shower from time to time? You're in the shower, and it's like God speaks to you. Isn't it crazy? What is happening your, your mind's not distracted with 47 different things. You're not watching a screen. You're not listening to something. You're just in there. Sometimes you're humming a tune or what have you. It is amazing what happens when we give these brief windows for God to show up and for ideas to show up. Hey, let's, let's deal with consistently, consistency. Let me do this. I'm going to give myself 15 minutes, which would mean, uh, timekeepers down there, will you all help me? Uh, I think that should be 822. Just flag me and we'll stop there, okay? Motivation gets you going. Discipline keeps you growing. I just want to have time for any interaction before 830, okay? Motivation gets you going. Discipline keeps you going. Uh, let me, I was thinking about this chapter and thinking about scriptural application because I, I don't feel right just teaching the material in this room um, and not giving some kind of application. And, and here are the thoughts. Have you ever thought about the fact that God's nature is characterized by consistency? I am the Lord, I do not change. Psalm 102, 27, but you remain the same. How about this, James 1, 17? Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Jesus Christ is the same. God is consistent, reliable, dependable in everything. And his desire is that we model consistency, reliability, and dependability. Think about it this way. Jesus, be perfect 
therefore, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Or how about this one? Ephesians 5.1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Jim Tressel, former head football coach of uh, Ohio State, went on to be university president, not at Ohio State, at another university. He said, the hallmark of excellence, the test of greatness is consistency. Let me ask, anybody here ever read a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins? Pastor Rhonda, anybody else? Phenomenal book. Phenomenal. I think I've read that book four or five times, and the reason being is I thought it was so important. Today, some of the stories referenced are a little outdated, but the book is still so powerful. And here's what's so cool about that book. Jim and his team spent almost five years analyzing successful, not so successful businesses in order to discover the factors that allowed those successful companies to outperform their closest competitors. The book, Good to Great, was the result of all of that study. One of the things that he discovered was this. When we tend to think of leadership, we think of leaders being these outgoing, gregarious, uh, sort of personality on steroids people. He said effective leaders were what he called level five leaders. They were leaders characterized by significant humility. Isn't that awesome? Significant humility, but also clarity on the mission, conviction about what it was they were called to do, and also the competency that allowed them to do it at a very high level. In other words, they didn't show up ringing a bell. They didn't show up with a bullhorn saying, here I am to save the day. They just quietly walked in. It's sort of like Nehemiah. He arrives in Jerusalem, and he goes out without anybody knowing, surveying the, the torn down walls puts together a plan, and then says, you know what, guys? I see what disrepair the walls are in. But here's a plan. Let's trust God. In 52 days, they rebuilt walls that had been desolate for decades and decades. Now, here's what he talked about. He said sometimes, Collins talked about, it gets right to the heart of consistency. He said sometimes when we look at successes, whether it's a company, a person, what we see is the overnight aspect of it. Wow. It just blew up overnight. He said, upon examination, what you'll find is that most success stories, and they'll bring up the graphic, I believe. They've got a graphic. It's like a flywheel. He said, when you start a big flywheel, just think of big Ferris wheel. When you start pushing a flywheel, he said, progress is is incremental. It barely moves. You're getting the wheel turning. But then when you put all of those characteristics together, disciplined people, disciplined thought, disciplined action, he said all of a sudden after it makes the first round, it gets another round. Then it gets another round. Then it gets another round. Then all of a sudden momentum steps in and it hits its own kind of energy cycle creating what appears to the public to be overnight success. But what people didn't realize is that there was a leader and there were people behind the scenes that were regularly just being consistent, doing the right thing day in, day out. That is the heart of what John is getting at. Motivation gets you going. Discipline 
keeps you growing. Paul Tripp nailed this. Got to quote it. I read this so regularly because I'm convicted by it. Listen to what he writes. It's an article he titled, Trading One Dramatic Resolution for 10,000 Little Ones. Listen to this. The reality is that few smokers actually quit because of a single moment of resolve. Few obese people have become slim and healthy because of one dramatic moment of commitment. Few people who were deeply in debt have changed their financial lifestyle because they resolved to do so. And few marriages have been changed by the means of one dramatic resolution. Is change important? Yes. Is commitment essential? Of course. There is a way in which all of our lives are shaped by the commitments we make. But biblical Christianity, which has the gospel of Jesus at its heart, simply doesn't rest its hope in big dramatic moments of change. The fact of the matter is that the transforming work of grace is more of, get this, a mundane process than it is a series of a few dramatic events. Personal heart and life change is always a process. And where does that process take place? Where you and I live every day. Our lives don't careen from one big moment to another big moment. No, we all live in the utterly domain, in the utterly mundane. Listen to this. Oh, this is so rich. The character of a life is not set in two or three dramatic moments, but in 10,000 little moments. The character that was formed in those little moments is what shapes how you respond in the big moments. Get ready. What leads to significant personal change? 10,000 moments of personal insight and conviction. 10,000 moments of humble submission to the will of God. 10,000 moments of foolishness exposed and with wisdom gained. 10,000 moments of sin confessed and sin broken. 10,000 moments of courageous faith. 10,000 choice points of obedience. 10,000 times of forsaking the kingdom of self and running towards the kingdom of God. 10,000 moments where we abandon worship of the creation and give ourselves to the worship of the creation and what makes all of this possible relentless transforming little moment grace that's the message of consistency oh isn't that so good four questions about personal growth that Maxwell asked us to consider do you know what you need to improve name it name that area you need to grow in consistency in now, I hesitate to move it, but I won't mention it, but I only do so for the sake that maybe it will help someone. 2020, I was 30 pounds heavier than I am right now. I tried a variety of things. I worked out compulsively, ran all the time. Nothing worked. My wife looked at me and said, why don't you hire a nutrition coach? I found one. She was young enough to be my daughter. Because it was COVID, she wasn't doing in-person appointments. I had to meet with her via a Zoom. She, spelled, she had the personality of, of a brick wall. No personality. None. I, I promise. 
And after listening to her spiel, by the way, her cost for her three-month program was $360. That's a lot of money to me. So I looked at her and I said this. I called her by her name and I said, hey, I've done everything. I've done keto and I did it like you were supposed to do it. I mean, I did it like, like they say to do it. I, I've done the low-carb thing. I've done it all. If I give you my $360 today and this doesn't work, what do I do? She looked at me. I love this. I love this. I love it. She looked at me and said, oh, no. If you do what I tell you to do, it will work. I said, but what if it... She said, I'm letting you know there's science behind this. If you do what I tell you to do, this will work. Well, I was a little bit offended. <laughs> but she spoke with such confidence. I said, I'm giving it a try. I did it. 30 pounds fell off. And, and By the way, I was eating, not starving myself. I've maintained her program to this day. It's... It's, it's a program uh, developed uh, around, uh, what are those things called? My mind went blank. Carbs, protein, and fat, they're all macros. So I get a certain amount of macros every day, certain amount of protein. I've knocked that out of the park today. Don't hardly have any carbs today, so I'm looking forward to something after this to get the carbs in and a little bit of fat. It worked. For the first time in my life, at one point, I actually, nobody's going to see this, but me, I'm a preacher. I don't post these kinds of pictures. She made me take pictures every week. That's painful. My wife took the pictures. Nobody else saw them but my wife. But I want to tell you, by the end of that program, now I'm not, I'm not hitting it as hard in the gym as I was, but I actually had, for the first time in my life, abs. For the first time in my life, I wanted to post that picture. I wanted to say, look at this pastor dog. I didn't. I felt it was vain. By the way, I wouldn't post that picture today because those abs disappeared. Two, two, okay? Where do you need to improve? Name it, two. You know how you're supposed to improve. Most people need knowledge, experience, and coaching. That's what my wife said to me. So, match your motivation to your personality style. Again, I love that talk on personality because most of us have different personalities. And my personality really responds to that kind of plan, a macro plan, where I know exactly what I'm supposed to eat every day. I love that. I love hitting numbers. It just it, it makes me feel good. Next, start with the simple stuff. Never forget, God said, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Next bullet, be patient. Next bullet, value the process. Now, I'm a Tennessee guy. I was born, bred, raised Tennessee. My dad was the greatest Tennessee Vol, Vol fan ever to live. Loved Tennessee volunteers. I lived in Alabama for 35 years. So I love Tennessee. That's my first allegiance. But while I was there, I also began to love Alabama football, especially after I got to meet Coach Saban. I, when I say I fell in love with Coach Saban, I mean that in the most manly, godly way possible. 
I spent an evening with him watching him care for his players and former players. And it indicated to me why this man is a great leader. His compassion and kindness out of the camera. Nobody was around recording it. Caused me to walk away saying, this man is a great man. I need to learn from him. I went and read the book, Chasing the Bear, one of the funniest books I've ever read in my life. I recommend it. It's about Paul Bear Bryant and Coach Saban, and it was wonderful. So good. But living in Alabama throughout his coaching tenure, if we heard this once, we heard it a thousand times. It's all about the process. And he would talk the way he talks. I'm not going to try that imitation because I would be made fun of it. Here's what coach would say. He would say, we're going to focus on the process. We're going to focus on the daily activities that lead to success. We're going to play every play we're involved in like it has a history and life of its own. We're not going to look at the scoreboard. We're not going to look at external factors. We're just going to focus all of our concentration, effort, toughness, and discipline on executing one single play at a time. And if we have the focus to do that on this play, the next play, and the next, for 60 minutes, we'll be able to live with the results regardless. The process, Coach Saban would say, is what you have to do day in and day out to be successful. Do you know what your process is? Do you work that process every day? I know every day, it doesn't matter how I feel, I'm going to pursue the process. Now, my ladies are about to tell me time, aren't you? I could just see those smiles. They weren't about to flag me. They were going to smile me down. But let's deal with, let's deal with this last point. Three, you know why you want to keep improving. Have you established your why? Simon Sinek says it this way. Why did you get out of bed this morning? And why should anybody care? When you establish your why... See, my physical fitness goal wasn't about having abs. That's why I don't have them anymore. My physical fitness goal was, was built around this. I never wanted to have to say no to something I wanted to do because of the way I treated my body. I wanted to be able to say yes. Do you know your why? Let me give you a demonstration. We'll end with this. I'll say a prayer right after we watch this video clip. But many of us ask questions like, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? The question we need to ask is how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, what becomes clear? Michael Jr. is going to fill in the blanks. Check out this clip. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, the question that you really should ask is how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie, because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is is it's me. I travel around the country, and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. 
and we've been filming this, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So I'm, we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so... Um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow, that brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you, you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the Here's what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. Amen. So, use the book. It'll fill in the rest of the blanks. If you need those, get back with us. I'm out of time, so let me say a prayer. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for this time together with Church of the Harvest tonight. Bless, bless the teaching. Bless the food drive on Saturday. Bless worship on Sunday. And bless the mission and ministry of this church. And let us become people who reflect and people who grow in consistency. And everybody said aloud, amen. 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 God bless you, Pastor Rhonda.